So this is, uh, this is great. I normally look at a clock on the back of the wall, but I always have a backup clock here. And guess what? It's not working. Which I take that as simply the Holy Spirit saying, go for it, Rick. No restraints whatsoever. You guys have cars. You can leave whenever you want. So um, I want to talk today about this subject of prayer. And the reason I want to talk about that is because... Uh, for the next uh, probably at least four weeks of September, all of our small groups are going to be participating in reading a book called uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, which by the way, if you're not in a group, but you want to just sort of sample what that would be like, I'm, I'm uh, making myself available right now, whether it's morning, day, evening, or whatever, but you want to spend four sessions in this book together Sometime it's two sessions in September and two in October. Uh, well, I'm here, and, um, and I don't mind being all alone by myself, but there you go for anybody who's not in a group. But this is a great book, and I'm looking forward to uh, it starting a conversation for us about the subject of prayer. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, praying is hard for most of us. That's been my experience most of my life with other believers that praying is hard for most of us. Uh, and uh, one of the ways that it's hard is simply because, let's take something like our environment, the kind of environment you grew up you grew up in. So let's take a quick survey. How many of you grew up in a home that was not a praying home? Okay, a good number of you. I certainly didn't. The only time I remember praying uh, was at the table uh, we were a very religious family, and we had one prayer, and I memorized it probably by the time I was five, and it never changed, uh, all the way until the time I was 18. So that was my experience of prayer. And here's the other thing. For those of you who did grow up in a home where you prayed, my guess is that most of you only saw one version of praying. Maybe even in church, you only saw one version of praying. So the Czech believers that I know think it's strange that we stand for the Word of God but sit for prayer because they sit for the Word of God and stand for prayer. Uh, or the Koreans, the South Koreans especially, uh, when they pray, they tend in a, in a church service to all pray at the same time. Uh, so uh, that's a different experience for most of us. If you're in Ethiopia, why... Uh, they gather uh, in a circle, and one brother prays for the whole group. And even if you don't understand the language, you find yourself all of a sudden being wrapped into this unbelievable, energized, unending prayer. So again, there's just different experiences for us that have affected that. There's another problem with the environment that also uh, makes prayer difficult, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call it the working bee environment. And Paul Miller grabs a hold of this in his book. He says, we prize accomplishment. We prize production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we're wasting time. In fact, have you ever heard of a church that hired a pastor whose primary responsibility was to pray for the people. You know, 20 hours a week, we pay this guy to pray for the people. My guess is you probably haven't. Um, 
And he goes on to say that even when we aren't working, we're, we are used to being entertained. And so when we slow down, we slip into a stupor. Exhausted by the pace of life, we pop earbuds in or we veg out in front of a screen. One of the things that makes prayer particularly difficult in this high productivity culture is that there are no margins in our life to have a conversation with God. At least a conversation where we're half attentive, right? Uh, there's no sacred space that we preserve for God and God alone. And then, of course, the other problem with prayer is pride. After all, think about it. Prayer is an act of vulnerability. When you pray, whether it's in private or in public, you're, first of all, making your needs known to God. You're being, you're being desperate before God. Or maybe you're praising God. Maybe you're expressing some affections to God. Uh, and it's difficult sometimes to really let loose with those affections and go wild and crazy like we see in the Psalms sometimes. Or perhaps you have confusions about God and you think it's sacrilegious to even share those confusions with God. Pride gets in the way of our candid, easy conversation with the Lord. And then I think every one of us knows this. If pride affects us in our private prayer life, can you imagine what it does in our public prayer life? Well, I don't, I don't think you have to imagine at all. It gets in the way of our public prayer life. And then perhaps one of the things that makes prayer so difficult, what makes it so hard, is an unresponsive God. I mean, let's be really, really honest for just a moment. Prayer primarily is a one-way conversation to a person we can't see who at least seems to us to mostly be unresponsive. And so it's no wonder that we struggle with unanswered prayer and we treat prayer, whether we would admit it or not, it feels like a lottery where you just hope your request gets some attention. So prayer is hard. Uh, prayer is hard for most of us. So here's another way to demonstrate that. Suppose I were to ask each one of you, how's your prayer life? Just think about it for a second. How would you answer that? Okay. <laughs> one person says, okay, way to go, Marvin. So what do we even use to answer that with, right? I mean, my guess would be that if I were to go around and ask everybody this question, there would be a variety of tools that you're using to measure your prayer life to which I would say where did you get those tools from well I don't pray as frequently as I should or I don't see answers to prayer like I should or I don't pray with faith or I don't all these different things that we use to measure our prayer life but where do we get those measurements from to begin with suppose I asked you a different question suppose I asked you how is your relationship with the Lord Okay, think about that for a moment. How would you answer that? How is your relationship with the Lord? Do you answer that by saying, as some people used to say to me when I'd asked this question regularly in the past, I'd say, how's your relationship with the Lord? And they immediately told me about their devotional time. What's that got to do with that? I mean, what they did is they gave me a report of how consistent and deep their devotional times were. 
as though their whole relationship to the Lord was measured by that particular exercise. Or maybe you say, well, for me, it's, it's a matter of feeling emotionally close to the Lord. Or, or maybe there's a discipline checklist, you know, when you answer that, you immediately think of how good am I doing with all the disciplines that God expects of me. Or maybe when I say, how's your relationship with the Lord, you might answer with, um, well, I think the Lord's pretty happy with me, so I'm pretty happy with him. There's all these different ways that kind of cloud the picture of our relationship with the Lord. But suppose I ask a different question. How's your relationship with your spouse? Or how's your relationship with your middle school kid? Or better yet, if you're a middle school kid, how's your relationship with your mother? Now, I'm guessing when you answer that question, you use something different than your relationship with the Lord. You use something different than your prayer life. Instinctively, my guess would be you're going to answer that question based on something to do with the type of communication you have with your middle schooler, your spouse, or your mom. And if you're talking and connecting, you feel like your relationship is going well. But if you're not talking, or if you're talking and it seems like no one's really listening, then your relationship is not going that well. Why do I bring all this up? Because prayer, this is probably the most important thing I'll say the whole, the whole morning, uh, and I've still got lots of time left. Um, <laughs> prayer isn't about getting from God what we want are giving God something He wants. Prayer is about getting to know God. Prayer is about getting to know God. And by the way, getting to know yourself, because you can't do one without the other. So prayer is not about getting something from God that we want, or giving something to God that we think He wants. Prayer is simply a conversation, getting to know God and getting to know yourself. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 that Lindsay read for us this morning. If you have a Bible, just take a look at that verse one more time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Because we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, listen to what he's about to say here. I would suggest to you that Hebrews chapter 4 that's talking about prayer, it's not telling us how to get something from God. It's not telling us what God wants from us. Listen to the relationship language here. Listen to the language of Jesus who knows how hard it is to pray. Think Garden of Gethsemane. He knows how hard it is for us to pray. He comes back to his disciples after asking them to pray for him. He finds them asleep. And what does he say? You idiots, don't you know how to pray? No. He says, I know your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. I get that. So listen to this companionship here. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses when it comes to something like prayer. He gets it. He can sympathize with us. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted in prayer like we have, yet he's not failed like we have. He's been tempted yet without sin. 
So let us then with confidence draw near to that throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, prayer is hard, but don't let that keep you from praying. You have a sympathizing, praying priest who knows how hard it is and how difficult it is, a companion in our struggle. Prayer is not turning God into a, just a gigantic Amazon. It's about realizing the companionship you have in life and tapping into that with Him. Which is why God knows that prayer is hard for most of us, and so He does something. The Bible is full of ways that God speaks to how hard prayer is for us. The first thing that God does is He shows us a record from Genesis to Revelation of, of responses to people praying. It's as though God has reshaped His whole plan for the universe and incorporated every single one of the prayers of his children into that. After all, it was prayer that opened the Red Sea. It was prayer that brought water from a rock and bread from heaven. It was prayer that made the sun stand still. It was prayer that brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. It was prayer that turned the counsel of King David's enemies into foolishness. It was prayer that saved Lot from destruction. It was prayer that overthrew the army of Sennacherib. It was prayer that healed the sick, that raised the dead, that got Peter out of prison, and on and on and on. Now, that's not a record to tell us that God always answers prayer if you pray according to a certain formula. The reason all of those evidences are in Scripture is God is trying to say, to, He's trying to tell us what we don't believe. He's trying to say, I am listening to you. I am responding to you. I'm changing the world because of your requests. So we have, first of all, this huge record of the fact that God is a listening God. He's a responding God. However, let me show you another passage, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, these words from Jesus. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. And boy, if it had stopped there, we would have, been, we would have missed out on so much. Listen to these next few words. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, why would Jesus tell them a parable about that? Because he knows we as human beings, most of us anyway, have a tendency to lose heart in prayer. And so he tells us a parable that when God doesn't seem to be responding, just keep on talking. Just keep on praying. Over and over again, there's multiple verses about the importance of persevering, but not just persevering, persevering with expectancy. God has his reasons to delay our request. God has his reasons to modify our request. Because again, prayer is about getting to know God and getting to know ourselves. And God is much more concerned about getting us to trust Him than He is about answering everything we pray for. Because behind all of our prayer requests, without us even knowing it, is ultimately a prayer that God would fulfill His promises in us which quite often means not answering our prayers like we 
would like him to and when we would like him to. In fact, I would argue that every single prayer of a believer, every single prayer of a believer changes things. Every single prayer of a believer changes things. Think about it for just a moment. Now, for example, did you know that you can even pray with unbelief and God will still answer it? I mean, if you want to see a great example of that, Acts chapter 12. Peter is in prison. And so the believers gather and they pray. And next thing you know, Peter's knocking on the door. And the servant girl comes out to the door. She sees Peter there. Instead of opening the door, she runs back in. She tells the prayer group, you're not going to believe who's at the door. To which they say, right. Were they expecting God to answer their prayer? Sure. In that way? No, probably not at all. Um, So God is still willing to honor it. But if you want to see something even more amazing, read about the prayers of the saints in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 8, it speaks about all the prayers of the saints for all the ages going into bowls, B-O-W-L-S, bowls that sit below the throne of God. And eventually, those bowls of prayers get all the way filled up And then they get dumped out at the return of Christ. What does that tell you? No prayer of a believer is wasted. They're all accumulating until that moment when God is ready to answer them all in one fell swoop. So God provides evidence that he's a listening God and he's responding. He reminds us again and again to persevere with expectancy And then finally, he describes prayers, this conversation between a father and a child. In Matthew chapter 6, we saw this a while back when we were in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is right around the time that Jesus also teaches us how to pray what's called the Lord's Prayer. And he describes in just two verses here something very interesting about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. When you pray... Don't heap up empty phrases like unbelievers do or like Gentiles do. When you pray, God doesn't have to be manipulated like he's some kind of pagan God. You don't have to pray a certain way. You don't have to uh, pray a certain amount. Don't don't, uh, come to God like that. But instead, pray to your father who is... Instead, he says, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even open your mouth. Paul Miller says that learning to pray involves learning to play again. Learning to pray involves learning to play again. How do children play? Well, for one thing, children have an amazing ability to say, again, you know, Uh, An exhausting ability, almost. Uh, But children's attention span wanders all over the place, doesn't it? It bounces from subject to subject. I mean, when children speak to their parent, to their father, their mother, they don't don't rehearse what they're going to say. They just babble out of their mouth. They don't, it's not like they're putting together a grant proposal before they come and speak to their parent. Why isn't prayer the same way? Think about the Psalms. Think about just the 
unorthodox way. These people pray in the Psalms. They pour out their emotions. They, they pour out their desire for vengeance. They just unrestrained prayer before God. Or think about Hebrews chapter 4, which we already looked at. It says, with confidence, draw near. And that word draw near, this is a great grammar lesson for all of you. It's something called a participle, which means that with confidence, draw near. With confidence, keep drawing near. With confidence, draw near again and again. In other words, we're going to have to be drawing near again and again and again, over and over in this conversation with God. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says we have access with confidence. Now, why would it emphasize that if we didn't think we had access with confidence? We tend to think we don't have confidence. We tend to think that we need to do something to ourselves before we can confidently ask God for anything for ourselves. Imagine a child in a rambling, ongoing conversation with her father, never having to get her father's attention because he's just always delighting in her babbling, always drawing the father into her little world without apology. That's what prayer is. Learn to babble, Paul Miller says. Learn to babble. Learn to just meander all over the place with your father. Now imagine your father always around, always tuning into your babble, and imagine your father wanting to bless you and just waiting for you to ask him. After all, James chapter 4 says, you don't have because what? You don't ask, which ought to make us ask an even other question, why don't we? Well, I'll tell you one reason why. That's James chapter 4 verse 2. You know what James chapter 4 verse 3 says? It says you do ask, but you ask with wrong motives. In other words, if you put those two verses together, this is what tends to happen in our prayer life. We tend to start asking God for things, but we don't realize that there are motives in some of the things we're asking God for we can't even see. And so God doesn't answer those things, but instead of persevering with expectancy, instead of seeing that there's something bigger going on, a chance to get to know God, we basically give up on praying. And as a result, we experience a lot less of God's blessing. What if you expected that every time you babbled to God, what if you expected that every time you asked God for something, it would always, always, always end in blessing? Maybe not end in the way that you want it to, but it would always end in blessing. So 2 Corinthians 12 is a great example of that. Some of you may be familiar with this. Here's the Apostle Paul. He speaks about this incredible experience he has. And then he says, um, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I saw, a thorn was given me in the flesh. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, I personally think Verse 7 should come after verse 8. 
three, he goes on in verse 8 and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And, and by the way, I don't think Paul means literally three times. I think that it's a symbolic way of saying, I was asking the Lord constantly to take away this thorn in the flesh. But he eventually realized something about God and something about himself. That's what prayer is all about, right? And so he realized in verse 7 that this thorn was given to him to keep him from becoming conceited. And, and if it wasn't for this thorn, he would become conceited. And so he says, eventually the Lord said to me in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, can you just rewind this for a moment? And imagine if God had answered Paul's prayer in the way Paul wanted him to answer it. Do you see how he would be less blessed by taking that thorn away? Because the thorn has resulted in what? The ability to be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He is so much stronger by the Lord not answering that request than by him answering it. And yet the whole time Paul was thinking, I would be stronger if the Lord would take away this thorn in the flesh. It's a beautiful example of the fact that every time we pray, God is responding in blessing, but not necessarily in the request that we want. There's always something bigger, more beautiful that's happening in prayer than just my needs being met the way that I envision. All right. Uh, what time is it? 1040. 10.40. I should end. Uh, I got more here on corporate prayer and other things. We're going to, we'll talk about that two weeks from now. Um, I, uh, I would love to give you an example of how so many times in my life, but I suspect some of you have this as well. So many times in my life, God has not answered prayers that I, I just, I have to have him answer them. They mean so much to me. In fact, I would guess I've had more prayers in my life unanswered than answered. At the same time, I've had prayers answered in my life I never even prayed for. So uh, maybe more of that in two weeks from now. I, in two weeks from now, I want to talk a little bit more about what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Do we even understand what that is? And how would that change our prayer life? Um, but I want to I do this. Uh, I'm going to ask the music team to get back in place as we transition here to take of the bread and cup in just a moment. And also uh, the elders could come up and get the tables ready as well in just a moment. And by the way, normally if we were upstairs, you'd be coming down the center aisle uh, we don't want you to do that because we don't want liability issues going on with these cords here. We don't want your most memorable communion to be the one where you sued the church. So, uh, so come out around the outside to these tables and then maybe make your way back uh, on the outside as well. And then if you're, if you're new here visiting, we welcome you to this table. If you call Jesus your Savior and your King, and we'll take, well, everybody will get bread and cup, and then I'll lead us in taking uh, the bread and cup.
together. But the reason we're doing this topic of prayer, the reason we're reading this book by Paul Miller, is that I, I hope to start a conversation with you and with you among each other about your prayer life. But I would suggest one thing that would help as you think about this. If you really want a prayer life that's far more life-giving than exhausting, you're going to have to be prepared to go through detox to get there. You can't just start a couple things and expect it to change. You need to realize that we've been programmed by our environment to where prayer is a difficult thing. And if you press through that detox phase, I'll say more about that in two weeks, I really believe and I know from experience, you, prayer will be so much more life-giving for you, so much more freeing for you, than it will be exhausting and difficult for you. Paul Miller says, learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. I love this line. Learning to pray doesn't offer to us a less busy life. It offers to us a less busy heart. Because we are, and because we are less hectic on the inside, guess what happens? We have more capacity for love coming out of our heart. That's one of the sweet things that prayer does is it, is it changes that restless heart that Augustine talked about on the inside when nothing changes on the outside. And I want to end as we think of uh, coming to the table here, this passage that's in your bulletins from Romans chapter 8. We never pray alone. We never pray alone. Remember how I said prayer is hard? Romans chapter 8 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in what? Our weakness. Our weakness in what? In praying. For we do not know to pr what to pray as we ought. Do you realize that? Half the time, we don't even know what to pray for. That's okay. doesn't matter. You see, the Spirit helps us. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So I pray the Holy Spirit translates it to the Father, and it gets answered every single time. A couple verses later, Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He's right now at the right hand of God. And guess what he's doing? He's praying for us. So as you draw near to the table today, draw near with confident access. You don't have to be good enough to be heard by God. Jesus has made you good enough because of his death and resurrection. And you not only have confident access to the throne of grace, you have confident assistance to the throne of grace. If I knew that every single time I pray, God was going to respond because my prayers are accompanied by the translating work of the Holy Spirit and the assistance of Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, it might make a difference in how I pray. So let's take a moment and then let me do something amazing. Let me talk to the Lord.
Oh, Father, you are always there. You're always willing to listen to our words that never feel quite right. And so would you free us from thinking we have to perform before you? This bread and a cup are such a reminder that we have absolute freedom in your presence and delight in your eyes because of Christ. Oh, make us again like little children babbling in front of a father who delights to bless us. Enhance our conversation even as you nourish our souls right now with the bread and cup. We pray in the name of the one who's praying right now for us, Jesus. Amen.